The reading tonight is from Malachi, starting at chapter 2, verse 17, which can be found on page 600, no, 961 on the Church Bibles. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmist says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light for my path. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise that as we look at your word, that it will guide us, that it will guide us as light through this world of darkness. And so, Father, we ask for your help now as we look at this word, that you would help us to understand it, to apply it. And please give us hearts, we ask our Father hearts that would love your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some things that are said in the Bible that can really shock you. Things that are said that you almost gasp as you read them. Take, for example, the moment when the people accuse Jesus of doing the good things he does because his power comes from the devil. It's a shocking moment. I wince as I read it. And verse 17 in our passage this evening contains another one of those shocking moments. It says this, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? Now, I'm guessing that lots of us will read that, and we might not think that sounds that shocking. But look again at what the people are saying. They say this, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. Do you see what they're saying? They're saying that God... Uh, treats evil people as if they're good. They're saying it's like God has, has got a kind of moral color blindness, that he looks on an evil person and he sees them as good. 
but it gets worse. Do you see what else they say? They say that he's pleased with those who do evil. They're effectively saying that when bad things happen, when injustices happen, disasters happen, people are trampled upon, that God smiles with delight. You can start to see, can't you, the shock of what is being said here. And it's no wonder that God says these words weary him. Now, why are the people saying this? Well, it's important to get our heads around right at the start what the problem is and why the people say this. But uh, we're going to move quite quickly, and uh, it's going to be, we're going to do all the hard work at the beginning. So um, please bear with me, and uh, this might be the time to wake up if you just dropped off. The people had been um, exiles in Babylon. Uh, like refugees, they'd been captured from their own land, and they'd been taken across the world to another land. And they lost everything. They were slaves of another nation. But at that moment, God chose to make some incredible promises. He promised a wonderful future of peace and of restoration to his people. And part of that promise was that God would stop the problem of good people suffering for other people's sins. See, the the people had a catchphrase around uh, this time. You can read of it in Jeremiah 31. It was this. The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, what what on earth does that mean? The people, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Well, they're saying that they're suffering for their parents' mistakes. You kind of get the image, don't you, that the parents eat sour grapes, but it's not just their teeth that go manky, it's their children's teeth that are affected as well. I mean, you'll know, well, the situation in North Korea, Kim Jong-un is trying to pursue uh, a nuclear arsenal, and uh, in response, the UN has put all sorts of sanctions on, on the nation of North Korea. But those sanctions, as much as people try, they don't just hit Kim Jong-un and his government. The people suffer the consequences. Even people who do good in that nation, we know there's plenty of Christians in that nation. Even those people, they suffer the consequences of others. And it was similar for the people in Malachi's day, but God promises an end to that. He says that people won't suffer the consequences for someone else's action. People will be judged for their own sin. But here's the thing, that promise hadn't come true. See, some of what God promised had come true, that the people were back in the land, the people um, had rebuilt the temple, that the, um, the people expected that this was it, this was God's promises coming true. But it felt like that they were suffering from God's judgment. See, the temple, even though it was rebuilt, was very small. And the people were hardly anything. And the nations around them were strong, and they felt threatened by their enemies. And those people, that they thought they were doing good, and those people who thought they were trying to love God were asking, why are we still suffering? Why are we still suffering for other people's sins? We're trying to follow God. Why are we still suffering for what our parents did or, or what evil people around us are doing? Uh, just have a look at 3.14. You'll see this uh, being verbalized. You have said it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements 
and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty. You see what they're saying? What's the point if we're suffering like everyone else? What's the point in serving the Lord? That's the context. That's what helps us when we get to 2.17, because 2.17 isn't just a kind of general cry, why doesn't God deal with injustice? But it's why doesn't God do something about his promise? We're doing good. We're following you, the people say. But it feels like we're under your judgment, like everyone else. Now, bringing it into to our world, we're not in exactly the same position, obviously, as the people here, but we do live in a time where we know that God has made some incredible promises to us. Promises like he loves us. He has forgiven us completely, if we're Christian. That he does all things for our good. But we live in a world where it doesn't feel like that often. We suffer like everyone else around us. It's not like Christians are kind of put into some special community where bad things never touch them. Bad things happen to us. Things go wrong and trouble comes. And when it does, we, like the people in Malachi's day, we can say, what's God doing? You know, I've tried to live for God. I've followed his ways. Perhaps not perfectly, but I've tried. And here I am struggling constantly with temptation, with, say, fruitlessness in the Christian life. And it's times like that we're tempted to ask, what's the point? What's the advantage of being Christian? So that's the background. Hopefully we're there. Um, That's the background to 2.17. But how does God answer this charge? Well, God says he is coming to sort things out. That's the first point on the handout, if you're following along. God is coming to sort things out. He says that he will come personally to deliver this promise of judging people individually. Have a look at verse 1. God says this, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And when he comes, look at what he does uh, over the page on verse 5. So I will come near to you for judgment. I'll say that again, sorry. Let you turn over. Uh, So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens or immigrants of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see what God is saying? He says, those people who do evil... Uh, who the people feel are wrecking the life of the community, don't worry. God will come and he will make sure justice is done. They will face justice for what they do. See, the people, they thought, well, God's kind of judging indiscriminately. And so it didn't really matter if you loved him or not. But God says it does matter because he sees it. And one day everyone will face judgment for their own sin. It might not look like that at the moment. It may look like God is kind of displeased with everyone. But God says, don't be mistaken. I will testify against those who do evil. They will be judged. Have no doubt. Now, I guess as I say that, the idea of kind of 
God judging is, is kind of hard for us to hear and for lots of us to accept. And we might imagine that if God judges, that that kind of makes him less loving. And so people often are attempted to kind of downplay God as a judge to make him seem more attractive. But actually, I think that's a mistake. Because I think the, the fact that God judges is actually good news. Because it means that those who don't get a voice, like Malachi says, the, the orphan, the, the immigrant, it means that those people who suffer injustice, and, and people seem to get away with it, it means they're not forgotten. Uh, a few of my friends are in the legal world, and um, they did their time in corporate law, and now they've decided to kind of specialize in helping those people who are more vulnerable, uh, the children, uh, children uh, people with mental health difficulties. And I love the work they do. I absolutely love it. I love the fact that they are driven about, uh, to, to get justice for those who don't normally access it. So why do we think that God would be any different? He is a God of justice. And he will make sure no one is treated unfairly or forgotten. Well, we might see that, and we might say, well, I get, I get that God being a God of justice is, is good news, perhaps. But is that really true? Do we really believe that? I mean, how do we know that God is going to do that? Well, back, um, uh, back when I was working in London, I remember there was a day I was walking, walking to work in the city, and um, just in the distance, I could hear um, whistles. And I thought, goodness me, what's that? Um, this kind of faint whistling. And then it got louder and louder, and I was still confused what it was, but kept on going um, anyway. And it got louder and louder, and then suddenly these police motorcycles raced up the road, and they started whistling at people and shouted at people to stop. Uh, they stopped the traffic coming out of junctions. Anyone seen this happen? It's quite exciting. They stopped the, stopped the traffic uh, coming out of junctions. They were shouting at pedestrians to stop. And I thought, goodness me, what's going on? And then suddenly this really posh car with blacked out windows with flashing lights raced on through. And um, I guess it was someone famous. I don't know if it was one of you. But um, <laughs> I didn't see who it was. But I guess it was the Prime Minister, Royal Family, that sort of thing. And Malachi says that before God comes, a messenger will be sent who will clear the way. And then the Lord will follow. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 1. But keep a finger in Malachi. So, uh, Mark chapter 1. Because in Mark chapter 1, we see this happen. So, page 1002. See, Mark shows us that the messenger has already come. Verse 2, it is written in Isaiah the prophet... I will send my messenger ahead of you who, who, uh, who will prepare your way. Do you recognize those words? I mean, you can ask me later why it says Isaiah and not Malachi. But um, you can see that it's a direct quote from Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. So who's the messenger? Well, verse 4, and so John came. John the Baptist. He's the messenger. So if the messenger's come and he's cleared the way, who is the Lord well, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, Mark shows us 
that this God of the Old Testament, this God of justice, who was promising to come, has come, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the God of justice that Malachi looked to. Now, of course, we ask, well, if if the messenger's come, if Jesus has come, why hasn't this judgment happened? Well, Mark goes on to show us that Jesus has delayed that judgment, but it will come. Paul says that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. And he's done that by appointing the man Jesus. But that day hasn't come yet. Jesus doesn't judge immediately, but he says one day he will return in the future and bring about that justice. See, we might cry out to God, why is there still injustice? Uh, Why do people still get away with things and escape the consequences? But one day, on the last day, we will stop saying that. Jesus will perfectly judge and judge fairly, and no one will have any complaints. While I was preparing this talk and kind of thinking about this future, it started to feel uncomfortable, and I guess it does for a lot of us as we hear it. As much as I think that God's judgment is a good thing, you begin to realize that that judgment gets very close to home. It starts to come in on us. And Malachi has a similar reaction. Just turn back to Malachi. Hopefully your finger's still there. Uh, If it's not, it's page 961. Now, the people, as we said at the beginning, they're they're calling out for an end to suffering. Uh, They're they're calling out for an end to suffering the consequences of another person's sin. The the people are crying out to God to to judge people individually. But it's like they don't realize what they're asking for. Uh, You know, when I was younger, I kind of got fixated on this idea of getting a boat. I mean, not a big one, a, a kind of inflatable boat. And uh, I would badger my parents about this boat time and time again. And they were a bit reluctant uh, about giving it to me. And obviously, I was really grumpy about that. But now, you know, now I've grown up and I've got two kids of my own, I can appreciate why my parents might not want their only son, uh, who had no fear, to take to the open seas on a little inflatable boat. Anyway, I kept on at my parents. It usually works. And uh, eventually, they gave in. And I got this boat. I was so excited. And I went out to the sea with my cousin, and it turns out that there are these things in the sea called currents. And apparently these currents are quite strong. And uh, I found this out one day when I was caught right off the shore. And uh, the first thing I noticed was the lifeguards coming towards me. Uh, I had to be rescued. And uh, you can ask me about it later. But my parents were not very happy. And the point is I didn't realize what I was asking for. See, I wanted to take to the sea. I I kind of imagined this picture of me confident in the boat, like Jack Sparrow mastering the open seas. But that is, as it turns out, the seas mastered me. And with the people here, they, they wanted God to come and judge and deal with all the bad people. But it's like they've forgotten who God was. They've forgotten what it's like to unleash a God of justice. Look at Malachi verse two, uh, 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
See, Malachi says, if God comes to bring justice to others, what makes you think that you can stand? What makes you think that you're okay? See, when people ask that question of what's God doing in the world, what's he doing? Why does he allow evil? Why doesn't God stop the kind of latest disaster? Why doesn't God deal with the bad people in the world? When he says, when we say that, we're making an assumption. We're making the assumption that it's the other people that have the problem that need to be dealt with. I mean, no one ever cries, why doesn't God come to deal with me? It's always others. But actually, if God comes in judgment against evil, he has to deal with it wherever it is found. And it starts to get very uncomfortable. And you can see why. If God comes to solve the evil in the world, to stop bad things happening, we're calling on him to deal with us as well. But is that it? Is it just that Jesus will come in judgment in one day in the future and we kind of just have to deal with that and and kind of wait for him? Well, thankfully not. Because there's another part to God's answer in this passage and I want us to finish uh, by focusing on it. See, God doesn't just come to crush us because of our imperfections. He comes to transform us. Have a look at verse 2 again. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a laundress soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. See, Malachi says that God is like a refiner's fire, the the fire that produces precious metals. See, in Malachi's day, um, you would purify metals by putting them in a fire and getting the fire really hot, and the gold and silver would become liquid, and all the impurities would rise to the top, and then you would scrape the impurities off and then do it over and over again until the metal was pure until it was rid of its impurities. And God uses that picture to say that is what he does to his people. He will come to deal with sin, but it's not just that he comes to destroy everyone who sins. He comes to refine. He scrapes away our impurities so that one day he will have a people who are beautiful, who will bring offerings in righteousness, a people who will worship him rightly. Now, coming into the New Testament, how does that kind of carry over to us? Well, I think there's two answers to that question. It it kind of carries over in two parts. First, Jesus rescues us from this judgment to come. See, Jesus does, in Mark's Gospel, speak of a future day in which he will come to judge all. But Mark shows us that Jesus came to deliver us from that judgment. And the people say in 2.17, those who do evil seem good in the eyes of the Lord. And God is pleased with those who do evil. But Jesus was the only one who actually did good in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus was the one who the Lord was genuinely pleased with. But do you know what? He chose to be punished 
as one who does evil in the eyes of the Lord. On the, on the cross, he chose to be cut off from his Father's pleasure so that those who are evil in the eyes of the Lord could be seen as good and that God would take pleasure in us. But there's a second way this passage is fulfilled. Jesus doesn't just save us and kind of wait in heaven to return. He is at work now refining us. And to see this, I want us to turn to 1 Peter. This is going to be your last bit of turning, uh, I promise. And so 1 Peter, chapter 1, and it's on page 1217. One Peter chapter one verse six. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to, may had to, may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see what Peter's saying? He's picking up on this language, isn't he? We have salvation now. Uh, God's judgment is dealt with entirely through the cross. Peter goes on to say your judgment day has, has passed. You don't need to fear ever standing before Jesus if you're in him. But God's work doesn't stop there. See, God is refining us now. Going back to that kind of picture of the metal worker with, the, with uh, the gold or the silver, apparently they would repeat the process over and over again until they could see their face in the molten metal. Well, God works in us again and again, removing what pollutes us till he can see his face in us. See, God cares enough not to leave you unchanged. He's working in you, in his refining fire. But the thing about a refining fire is that it's not a holiday. It's not gentle. It involves fire and heat. And according to Peter, it's the same for the Christian. Peter says this most shocking thing. It is in our grief and our trials that God is refining us. Now, how does that work? How, how is it that God could or would refine us through trials? Well, it's as we experience difficulties and grief in this life. Those are the moments that we depend more on him, that we deepen our faith in him, that all that pollutes is stripped away. See, the people in Malachi's day, they, they kind of assumed that their suffering meant that God was not keeping his promise. And we can think that too. We, when we face difficulties, it feels like we're not in God's favor, that God's kind of letting us down, or even worse, that he's judging us. In, in 2012, I, um, I, with my wife Claire, we, uh, we sat in a ward in um, St. Thomas's Hospital. It's a lovely hospital. You get a great view uh, from the top floor. So if you are going to be ill, 
uh, it's the place to go and uh, enjoy. But um, we, uh, we sat in that, uh, in that hospital, we went for our first baby scan, and um, we were pretty excited, it was our first uh, child, and uh, it had been a long time coming, so we were pretty, pretty chuffed about getting there. But it turned out that when we had the scan, uh, that things weren't good, and it turned out that we had suffered a miscarriage. And for some reason, the pregnancy had continued, and so we didn't know anything about it. Uh, but it had continued, and uh, it found out that things had stopped. And I remember in the weeks after, um, just thinking to myself, what's happened? You know, I felt close to God at that time. I was doing full-time ministry. I felt God was supporting me. I felt very happy. And then the questions started, like, what's gone wrong? Is it my prayer life? Is it my devotional life? Uh, Claire, she said, I can say this. I've asked her permission. But she said, you know, she thought to herself, well, I've had a bit of a ropey time with prayer in the months leading up. Is this kind of God's judgment against us? And I guess for some of us who have gone through similar things, those sort of questions pop up. But Peter says it's precisely those things that God works for our good. It's precisely through those things, the suffering, the injustice, the pain, they're not signs of God's judgment. They're signs of his refining work in us, crafting us to be more like his son. Do you know what? It's, it's not my time at college, as much as I love college. It's not those times. It's not those times where I've studied most. They're not the times that have grown me most. It's those times where I felt the fiery trial, like our miscarriage, Those are the points that God drives home to me, and I'm sure to us, his promises. It's those moments where I feel, you know, no hope can come from this world, ultimately. It's when he's, they're they're the moments when he strips away the impurities and makes me depend on him. I don't think this trivializes suffering. Uh, Suffering still hurts. Trials are still hard. Loss still grieves us. And of course, we might not understand precisely why God works this way or why he works in our particular way. Charles Spurgeon, a um, Victorian pastor, he suffered greatly in his life from depression. And so much so, he was in bed for weeks at a time. And I love what he says uh, about the trials that he faced. He says this, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. We might not know precisely what God is doing, but we know that he is doing something good in us. He is refining us. See, the people of Malachi, they ask, where is this God of justice? Where is the God who will come and transform his people? And God's answer is, he is doing it. Jesus will come, he will return to bring final justice to the whole world. And God has begun that work already in us. Let's pray. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold
which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our Heavenly Father, how great is your wisdom that you use even our sufferings, even our trials, to refine us, to make us reflect your image. And we ask our Father that as we face those things, as we doubt perhaps what you're doing in us and in the world, that you would cause us to cling on these, onto these great promises. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.